good evening. Um, today's reading is taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 22. Okay, cool. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 22. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to, to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever has already been and what will be has been before. And what God will call the past and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for the, there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because this is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? This is the word of God. He wrote a song after he came to the realization that he hadn't done anything significant with his life yet by the age of 31. Now, if you're under the age of 25 and you can tell me who Roger Waters wrote for, I have a chocolate in it for you. Well done. Come and get it. This doesn't happen every week. I know it happened last week as well. There you go. Sorry. This is what the song sounds like. Taking away the moments that make up a dull day. Fritter and waste the hours. 
Guys, give up Taylor Swift for a week and listen to Pink Floyd. It's awesome. Okay. Ticking away the moments that make up a dull day, fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way, kicking around on a piece of ground in your hometown, waiting for someone or something to show you the way, tired of lying in the sunset, staying home to watch the rain, you young and life is long and there's time to kill today. And then one day, you find 10 years have got behind you. No one told you where to run. You missed the starting gun. Every year is getting shorter. Never seem to find the time. Plans that either come to naught or half a page of scribbled lines. Hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way. The time is gone. The song is over. Thought I'd had something more to say. Isn't that awesome? Go and listen to Floyd. It'll blow your mind. But Floyd... They only got the ideas from Ecclesiastes, from the preacher. And so the original song on time is chapter 3 that Michaela read for us tonight. Now, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, this is week 3 in our series of 8 on the book of Ecclesiastes. You can go and pick up the first two on any of the podcast platforms. Just search Christchurch Stellenbosch, and it'll be there if you want to catch up. But so far we've seen that if you're going to live life under the sun... It's a dead end. It's a dead end because you die. And the message of the, of the book of Ecclesiastes is if life is only under the sun and there is nothing above the sun, then life is without meaning. It's empty. It's void. You can't grasp it. The days get longer. The years get shorter. Time flies. So tonight, he's not going to focus in so much on death, although he is going to talk to us about death later on in the passage. He wants to talk to us about how time shows us that actually life is pointless if you are only going to live it under the sun without reference to God. If you think that all that there is in the world is everything that you can see and touch and taste and feel in here, that is, if you're going to live a materialist's, a materialist's life, then you will find that actually life is unsatisfying. And so he starts in, in the first eight verses with a brilliant poem about the problem of time. And as, as we read this poem, we're actually meant to hear the tick-tock of a clock. So listen to this. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. Can you hear the pendulum that's swinging as you read the poem? Time is passing us by. And so the first heading tonight is Time's March. Um, verse 1 declares that there is a season for everything, and to illustrate it, the preacher, he uses 14 pairs of contrasting opposites over seven verses to make his point. It's called Hebrew parallelism. It's a very common use of the Hebrew language by the poets in the Old Testament. So look at verse 2. I'm just going to run through them very, very quickly. A time to be born. Let's have it on the screen. Thank you. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot. Here is the entire cycle of life, human and plant. God has set the season and the time for everything. No person or plant controls the start or the end of their existence. You didn't ask to be born, and we don't control the seasons. Verse 3, the next verse, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. To kill, an intentional act to end life. To heal, an intentional act to preserve life. He's not making a moral statement. 
He's not saying there is a particular time in the seasons in the year, maybe the month of October, where you can go and kill everybody, like in Purge. It's not like that. He's just referring to the legitimate ending of life, maybe capital punishment, or just war, or self-defense. And then in verse 4, we move into the emotional realm with two closely related pairs of contrasting emotion, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Verse 5 is a little bit harder to understand, and the commentators talk about a couple of things, but the most likely explanation is a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them the way that you would spoil your neighbor's harvest or field was to go and scatter stones so that they couldn't harvest properly at night, maybe, if you wanted to get back at your neighbor. And so he's saying sometimes, you know, in life there are seasons when your neighbor is your enemy and then other times you'll embrace him and, um, and you'll be friends again. Verse 6 has to do with possessions, a time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep, a time to throw away. Um, seek and keep something or give something up and throw something away like spring cleaning or something like that. Verse 7 speaks of tearing, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak. Often we only know the day after what we should have said in the moment. But here is the preacher recognizing the different phases of life. Verse 8 speaks of love and hate strong personal emotions of attraction and repulsion, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. It's interesting, you might be aware of what's going on in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas at the moment, and the Prime Minister of Israel a few weeks ago, Prime Minister Netanyahu, he quoted verse 8 in international press. After they were attacked by Hamas, he said, there is a time for peace but there is also a time for war. And so it's made its way into the news uh, cycle recently. Now, of course, the preacher, he's not advocating that we hate other people. He's simply observing and describing the different phases of life and the seasons that we go through as part of the full spectrum of the human experience. His point is, is that God has established moments or times for a wide variety of activities and emotions. The world is a varied and an ordered place as time marches. One of the great secrets of life is realizing, recognizing, and enjoying the different seasons of life. Enjoy your student years. Some of you are enjoying your student years too much. Enjoy your student years. But you know, a time will come when actually you'll want to stop being a student and you want to become a young professional. And so there are different seasons and it's right in the moment for you to enjoy it. When I was your age, perhaps you are less affected by the seasons than I was at your age. Because when I was your age, I can remember, um, only 15 or so years ago, I can remember looking forward to June, July, because that's when you get oranges. Because that was orange season. And we'd have oranges for the first time all year. Now you can get oranges all year round. It's not special anymore. Looking forward to December, because that was watermelon month. Now you can get watermelon, and you can always have avo on your pizza if you're willing to pay for it, because there's a never a shortage of avo at Woolies. 
all year round. You don't have to worry about the seasons. So perhaps we are less aware of the seasons in this generation. But God has given the seasons. He's given them for our good, but he's also given them so that we will feel the problem of time, of the fact that time never stands still. There is never enough time. And it seems to keep on being eaten up by the passing of the seconds, minutes, and hours. Every year, time speeds up. Um, but you never seem to get anywhere. It's just the endless cycle of love and hate and weeping and laughter and sowing and reaping. Such is the tyranny of time. So he wants to then help us to feel it a little bit more. So secondly, it comes to time's effect. The effect of time on us, and I want to show you three things under this heading quickly. Verse 9 and 10, the burden of time. Look at what he says in verse 9. He has his conclusion after his beautiful time poem. He says, what do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. Um, workers have no gain from their toil. Everything is temporary and ultimately washed away by the passing of time. And verse 10 is clear, isn't it? I've seen the burden. Let's go back to verse 10. I've seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. Can I just be clear about that again? God is the one who has put that burden on us. And the reason that he has done that, we've been learning in the book of Ecclesiastes. The reason that God puts a burden on mankind about meaning and purpose, and here the burden of time, is so that we will turn to him. So that we will look above the sun to the one who exists in eternity. He's not bound by time. He lives above time. And so we will look to him. Here's the second subheading, and that is purpose. Look at the purpose of this in verse 11. He says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Let's keep that up for a bit. That is, um, God has not only given us the burden of time, but he has also given us a purpose that time brings about in our hearts. That is, he has made us so that we are not satisfied with time. That's what that verse is saying. He has set eternity in the human heart. There is something wrong about growing old. There is something wrong about death. There is something wrong about losing time. You know, you can see this in the, uh, in the cosmetics. I nearly said the narcotics, but the cosmetics industry of the world. Billions of dollars spent every year to try and mask the effects of time. Dyeing your hair, getting Botox, facelifts, and other kinds of lifts as well. And the reason is, is that we actually, time, we're not made for time. We're made for eternity. There is something that is deeply unsettling about the passing of time and the getting old and growing weak. I know you don't think that's ever going to happen to you, but believe me, it'll happen just now. You'll look back and you'll see that that's what's happened to you. Um, you know, you can see this in different ways. C.S. Lewis was a great author from the last century, and he illustrates this brilliantly. It's so good that I've probably used this illustration before, so bear with. He says, have you ever noticed how human beings are constantly surprised by the passing of time? My, how you've grown. Haven't you had an aunt squeeze your cheek and say those words to you? 
my, how you've grown. Or where's the year gone? It's already the 18th of February. You know, it's already Friday. I was meant to do those, all of those assignments by, by, by Friday, and it's already Thursday night or Friday morning. We always are surprised by the passing of time. And Lewis makes the very incredible and poignant point that being surprised, humans being surprised by time is as stupid as a goldfish constantly being surprised by the wetness of water. Why should it be surprised by the only medium that it knows? It's only ever known water. We've only ever known the medium of time that we live in, and yet we are always surprised by the passing of time. And it is because of verse 11. We, are, we have eternity set in our hearts. We're not made to be born, to grow old, and to die. We are made, actually, to live forever. And we know that in our hearts. Do you know another way that you can see this is with nostalgia? Do you find yourself daydreaming and having nostalgic moments in your life? Taking a little holiday in the past, in your mind, from the present. When we feel nostalgia, we experience a feeling of something lost, something that we once had. Maybe you can remember a place. Do you know this sometimes happens when you hear a song from your past, and suddenly you have this moment of nostalgia. Oh, I remember where I was. Oh, I remember who I was with during that song, you know? And, uh, and that also is this little sign that actually we are longing for something more than time. When you mature, you realize that nostalgia actually is just playing a trick on you. Because nostalgia makes you think that you are longing for something in the past, but actually you're longing for something in the future. What are you longing for? You're longing for eternity. You're longing for heaven. And so you think you're longing for the past, but actually you're longing for the future. God has placed eternity in our hearts. One Christian writer put it like this, we are built for some <clears throat> we are built for a place that we cannot yet see. And so when we get that flashing moment of nostalgia, it's like tiny pinpricks of our eternal home breaking through into our present life. And wise people understand that God has made us to long for him and to long for heaven. That is, to long for eternity. But there is also a gift. There's a burden, there's a purpose, and there is a gift. And the gift comes in verse 12. He says, um, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all of their toil. This is the gift of God, he says. That is, enjoy those times of beauty and joy that life sometimes brings. Receive that gift from God. It does help to lighten the burden of life. It is right for us to say thank you to God from time to time for the things that he has given us. I want to show you a picture of a maze. It's the biggest maze in Europe. It's called the Longleat Maze. It's in Wiltshire, England. The English know how to do their gardening, don't they? Life for us is like being lost in a maze. A beautiful maze. You look around, you can see that there is meaning and purpose and planning and order. The hedges are beautifully cut. It's been thought through. There are straight lines. It's orderly. It's neat. It's cared for. 
There is a reason for the maze, but you're not sure what that reason is. You're in the maze. You can't get out of the maze. You look at it, you recognize that there is order and purpose. But you don't know what that purpose is. And so the preacher says, just enjoy the maze. Enjoy the beauty of the hedges and the straightness of the English hedge cutters. Enjoy the exercise that you're getting. Chat to the other people that you bump into. See how nice everything is. And once you accept that you can't actually understand the maze, then just enjoy the maze. That's what the writer is saying. We can't fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. We know that there is more, but we can't discern it. What we need really is somebody from outside of the maze to come in and to explain it to us. So, we've got the burden of time, verse 9, verse 10. We've got the purpose of time, verse 11, so that we will long for something else. And we've got the gift of time, verses 12 and 13. Here's my final heading, and that is time's Lord, the Lord of time. We get the application of this whole passage in verse 14. Look at what it says. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. Listen to this. God does it so that we will fear him. There's the application from the passage. Can I ask you tonight, do you fear God? That is, do you revere God? Are you in awe of the God who firstly rules over time? He is the Lord of time. He sits astride time. He commands time. And he sets your time for you. Whatever he does, happens. Whatever he wants, he gets. Whatever he doesn't want, doesn't happen. For he is the great sovereign God over time. The times that God has set are unchangeable. We cannot add anything to the past, nor can we take anything away from it. Look at verse 15. Uh, halfway down that slide, whatever has already, whatever is, has already been, and what will be, has been before, and God will call the past to account. God, what God wants to do will be done, and no human being can hope to alter the course of things by their own effort. He is outside of time, he invented time, and therefore he rules over time. And so we are to be in awe of God who rules over time. But you know, there's something else here that is so profound. He says, the times of our lives are not the only times that there are. I want you to look at um, verse 16 and 17. This is my second subheading. First one is God rules time. This one is God is just. Look at verse 16. I saw something else under the sun. In this world. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. Next verse. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. You know, this verse 16, let's have that up again, just go back to that. That is a description of the world that we live in. Instead of justice, there is wickedness. 
South Africa 2024. Instead of justice, there is wickedness. But everywhere, not just our country, we're not a special case. We look for justice and we see corruption. It often doesn't come in this life. We can see it on a national level, can't we? People getting away with terrible things all the time, sometimes just because of a technicality that they get away with things. And we are acutely aware in our own country that there is something terrible about a world when the law seems to not be able to be implemented. No matter how good the laws are, they can't be implemented or where the officials responsible to implement the laws seem to live above the law. We know that. It's in our press every day. But maybe we know it also on a personal level. It might be that, um, you know, you've had an experience at the hand of somebody else who has done something awful to you and you've suffered awful indignities and they've never answered for it. And maybe they never will. Maybe they've got away with it. The preacher wants us to know that this world, this time, is not the only time that there is. There is another time that's coming. And it's a time where there actually will be time for everything to be weighed and measured and held to account. That's a good thing to look forward to. Christians don't lose the will to live when our court cases fail because we know that there is a judgment day coming where everything wrong will be put right. Revere God. Fear God. Hold God in awe because a time is coming when he will put all the wrong things right. And third subheading under this last major heading, and that is that God rules over death. Look at verse 18. I want to read 18 to 22 for us again. Look at what he says. I, I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. How do you feel about that? Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them. Death, the ultimate test that we don't pass. The ultimate exam that nobody has ever succeeded in. When it comes to death, there seems to be no difference between animals and humans. Rather a living dog than a dead human. What advantage is there to being human, he asks. Eventually both a dog and a man will become dust. They go to the same place. The beasts who aren't concerned about time become dust. Humans who are always clock-watching, scheduling, running from one appointment to the next, trying to control their lives, what happens to them? Like the beasts, they go to dust. And this too was meaningless. So what can we do? Well, he says in verse 22 what to do. Enjoy life while you still have it. Enjoy youth while you still have it. Enjoy health while you still have it. For if, life is, if, if all that there is is life under the sun and we can't see beyond death, well then just enjoy the moment. Can you feel his frustration? 
No one has seen beyond death. No one has come back to life from the dead. If only someone would come into the maze from the outside and tell me the meaning of the maze and help me to understand life. If only we had someone come back from de the dead to tell us what happened. Someone who's found their way out of the maze. Wait a minute. We do have someone. His name is Jesus. He's the one who survived death. He's the one who beat time. He's the one who showed that he is the Lord over death. For he's the only one that death didn't lord over. And if he's the Lord over death, friends, he is the Lord over life. And if he's the Lord over life, he's the Lord over you. You may not acknowledge that tonight. That's fine. I'm glad you're here. Whether you acknowledge it or not, Jesus is your Lord. For there is nothing that he is not Lord over if he is Lord over death. And so fear God because he raised Jesus. Somebody has come into the maze from the outside to tell us what to do. To tell us what will give our lives meaning. Let me show you how Jesus does this for ourselves, for us. Let me show you what he says to us about how to give your life meaning. Let's go to that last quote. This comes from Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It's Jesus' first sermon. Everyone would have loved it because it lasted half a minute. I'm sure it's a summary of his actual sermon. But look at what he says. The time has come. We've been thinking about time tonight. The time has come. Then he says, the kingdom of God is near. What does it mean when he says the kingdom of God is near? Those of you who are doing Bible study this year, you're all going to be Mark scholars by the end of the year. Let me let the cat out of the bag for you. Go and dazzle your leaders and your group on a Wednesday or a Thursday night. When Jesus says the kingdom of God has come, what is near, what he's saying is, the first of the three ingredients that you need for a kingdom is here. What are the three things you need for a kingdom? Not a rhetorical question. Shout it out. A king. What else? People. Subjects. What's the third thing? A place. A realm. Jesus says the time has come. The first of the three components is here. That is the king. I'm the king. I'm here. The other two aren't far behind. And so how are you to respond to that? The answer is repent. Do you know what repent means in that context? Very important. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing what repent means. Repent means it's time to stop pretending that you are the king of your life. For the real king has turned up. His name is Jesus. And he is a much greater king of your life than you are of your life. For he can do what no other king can do. He beat time. He beat death. Not only that, but he's come in from outside the maze. He knows what's outside. And his job and what he loves to do is to bring us to eternity, to his father, to the full kingdom of God. I wonder if you have the assurance tonight that if you were to die on your way home, God forbid, but it could happen, would you go in eternity, would you go to be with God? There is only one way to be sure of that, and that is to come to Jesus, 
to say, sorry, I have been pretending to be the king of my life and to quickly get off the throne so that he can get back on. Have you done that? We'd love to help you to do that if you haven't or if you're not sure. Now, what do you want to ask me? I'm done. 